Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. On May 21st, 1990, a 19-year-old from Madison, Wisconsin, is found dead in his 68 Mustang, 150 miles away in the south side of Chicago. Originally ruled a suicide, nothing added up to that. His death will later be changed to undetermined. Over 30 years later, we still have no answers. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast. Tonight we bring you a case of Chad Mallet. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, gray day in the basement. A little breezy, a little gray, a little depressing, but what do we know? Bro. We are recording this after Christmas, before New Year's, so you will not hear it for a couple of weeks. But uh, did you have a good Christmas there? Bro? I had a great Christmas. Yeah, I still have so much trouble with this stupid opening. I'm tired of having to do them 900 times. I can't talk. I don't understand. Uh, but no, I had a great Christmas. We are on some new equipment, the She Coast Guys. Yes. And it is. I mean, I'm talking. Fancy, fancy, schmancy. We yeah. uh, we're winging it today. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Cause we took one look at it and we were like, "That's a lot of knobs." That's a lot of knobs and buttons. <laughs> and we don't read instructions. We're men. <laughs> <laughs> if it sounds weird, it's because we haven't got it perfected just yet. Well, we've got some new Patreons on the Patreon front. We have three. We have Miss Cherie Treadwell Miller. Holly Thomas and Magenta Vaughn. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Oh, Magenta, man, she's awesome. She's from, uh, she's from, uh, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. She's one of the only, only people that I know for a fact on Twitter asked for podcast recommendations, and I gave her ours, and I know for a fact she listens because she gives us a shout out every Friday, and it's awesome. I appreciate it. On our Instagram, we have a lady who always retweets our, or not retweets, but reposts retweet on, on Instagram. Instagram. It's She's a savage. She's, she's that good. She is that good. But she always uh, reposts our, she takes a screenshot of our uh, post, and then she puts it on her timeline, and it's just absolutely awesome. And I want to thank her, and it is Miss Annoying, Annoying, shit, Annoying <laughs> Know-It-All. And then we also had Miss 504 Bad Chick reach out, and she left us a great uh, review, and she says, I'm not sure if you guys will get this, I can't rate your podcast on Spotify for some reason, so I wanted to say you guys are five plus stars. You guys are great. I have anxiety, and listening to you guys have saved me during the recent stresses of COVID. Nice. I have anxiety, too. It sucks. Yeah, it does. I have it as well. Take a pill every day or I will kill someone. 
You are hilarious, humble, and a great and great storytellers. Also, thank you for doing the Jennings Eight. Being from Louisiana and a passionate supporter of marginalized victims and missing it's important to me the way you represented those ladies and kept their stories alive is just so important to me. Thanks, guys. Keep being yourselves. Y'all are refreshing and familiar in a nice way. I've also gotten most of my family and friends hooked on you. So not only is she does she like one of the early episodes where we didn't know what the hell we were doing, <laughs> she has hooked her family and friends on it. And then I told her, you know, if she had any cases from Louisiana, we'd love to go back there. And she said that uh, she does, and she gave me a list. And so, Miss 504 Bad Chick, if you are listening... We've got those on the docket. Thank you. Um, well, I have a five-star review from a Rachel8998. So was trying this again, reviewed last week, and it won't show up. Anyway, big fan from Alaska. I was on a long road trip a few months back, and shortly before leaving, someone brought up the Uber driver killer. I googled the case looking for a podcast on the story, and Mysterious Bruise was the top result. Been listening like crazy ever since. Posts are hilarious really do their research and the content is refreshing and original one of my favorite podcasts which that that research thing that's all you said <laughs> hey i will say this i was uh we for those of you that don't follow us on social media we put out there last week after our episode not this week but last week so before christmas that we had finally got off our asses and put out a youtube channel which i'm the trolls are going to come out so i'm trying not to even once people start listening on youtube i'm sure we'll get crucified but with that said i would go back and i would google a cover photo for the case that would display for each episode and i just typed in i can't remember which one it was gary sudbrink i think and we are like on images our logo shows up and i was like get the hell out of here that's awesome yeah we have no marketing money we don't know anyone at google but that is awesome (laughs) But again, thank you to everyone, especially She Coach, for gifting us some new equipment. And thank you for the kind words from all of our supporters. Yeah, I mean, anybody that compliments the research, I mean, they, they clearly don't know about me. He's up at 6 a.m. the day of saying, well, what's this about again? Yeah, yeah, like literally as I'm turning my computer on, I'm like, what's this guy about again? <laughs> but it works, so we're going to roll with it. I just want to point out something to make my, my sister laugh. My sister is obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries. So much so that, you know, anytime I have to, a case that was on Unsolved Mysteries, I like, I like to let her know beforehand. So this case was on Unsolved Mysteries. I just sent her a text message, and the only thing I said was, Chad Mouth. Almost immediately, I got this response. I told you that name a long time ago. He was found dead in his car, and they said it was suicide, but it was murder. Unsolved Mystery Season 4, Episode 15. <laughs> <laughs> She's not a fan, y'all. She really not. She had to look that up. <laughs> no, it, no it, it came in so fast like that there's no way that she just didn't know that offhand. That's awesome. But yeah, once I told her that Tubi, the, the app Tubi, has a... Uh, an Unsolved Mysteries channel where they just play it 24-7. That's pretty much obviously watching that. Or they make, I think it's on Pluto. Yeah, Pluto's got one. Pluto. Uh, FilmRise has an app, too, for if you have a smart TV. And you can just you can actually go into FilmRise and pick out the episodes. Pluto is on loop. 
let's get to it. We are, more importantly, what are we drinking? We are drinking New Glarious Brewing Company. Uh, Moon Man it is a no-coast pale ale. Bold and engaging without pretense. It is a session beer because it is early in the morning. It's 11.42 a.m. and I don't think we need to be getting sloshed. Yeah, I got to drive home. Yeah, on Wednesday. So. No, honey, I got a cab. <laughs> I don't think we need to do that on Wednesday. But we have, this is our second beer from them, and we have yet to be disappointed, and it is quite tasty. So, Mr. Chad Maurer, on Friday, May 19th, 1990, just after 12 p.m., Chad came home for lunch to his mom and dad's house in Monana. What? It's a suburb of Madison, Wisconsin. Monana, maybe? We'll just say Madison. We'll just say he's in the suburb of Madison. <laughs> he lived on uh, Simpson Street, and he was going to make a couple of sandwiches during his lunch break. He was working at a bike shop, not a vroom vroom, but a pedal pedal, <laughs> <laughs> called the Village Peddler in Madison. Uh, just before he left to go back to work... Chad asked his dad for 20 bucks to fill up his dad's sweet yellow 1968 Ford Mustang. Oh, I would um, love that. He was in a hurry and drove back to the shop to finish out his shift. And it was just a two-mile drive that should have took, taken. Tooken. Should have done tooken him there 10 minutes to get there. Anyway, about an hour and a half after Chad left, his mom and pop, Miss Dolly and John decided to make a trip to the hardware store in Madison. And the hardware store was located across from the box shop. When they pull into the hardware store, they noticed that that sweet yellow 1968 Mustang is not in the parking lot of the box shop. And so they're like, hmm, what's going on here? And they both walk over to the box shop to see if Chad had parked somewhere else. And they state that the store was packed. The owner had a line of customers that he was helping, so uh, Dolly and John decide to just look around to see if they can find Chad. And after a few minutes, they can't find him, and they ask the owner if he was there. The owner tells them that he thinks that he's in the back helping a customer. And Dolly would state in a later interview that Chad had just started working there two days earlier, and she didn't want to like cause a scene and start screaming for her son and get him in trouble if he was like in the bathroom yeah. or he was in the back or something. Mom, you burst me in my job. God, Mom. <laughs> but Chad loved bicycles, and that's an understatement. He was a BMX bicycle racer and enjoyed doing stunts on them. So this was his dream job, getting a, getting a job at a bicycle shop where he could see all the new bikes, talk to people that enjoyed what he enjoyed. Yeah, and uh, the day of, he's not going to give any indication to his parents that there's anything wrong. Okay, so, like, he's not acting suspicious, he's not acting scared. Uh, his mother's going to be quoted saying there was nothing about him that was different. He wasn't on edge. He was just excited about his job. He had a big smile on his face just, just as usual. And then his dad... And say I was standing right outside saying goodbye to him and didn't notice anything different either about anything on the or the car. It was a kind of cool day and I just don't think he intended to go anywhere else or he would have had a jacket with him. That's going to come up a little later. 
His mom's going to tell him to take the jacket. And he's like, Mom. I don't need a jacket. God, it's not the cold. It's not even that cold. It's May. Yeah. God. <laughs> so. But anyway, no, we, we don't know what Chad sounds like, but we know what a 19-year-old kid sounds like when he's telling his mom he don't want a jacket. Yeah. But Dolly would state that that mother's intuition kicks in right away, and she knew something was not right. She just had a gut feeling and could not sleep but just a few hours that night. And now Dolly made it clear to the media, even though in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, they didn't put it in there, that Chad was not a choir boy. He liked to drink, he liked to smoke the left-handers, and he even dabbled in LSD a few times. God, how old are you? <laughs> the left-handers, my God. Now, regardless of his drug use, which I find... He's a 19-year-old kid in the 90s. I don't. I mean, I don't see where people hang on this as he's like some drooling drug addict, and that's not that's not the case. Not from what I could find. But regardless of his previous extracurricular activities, his parents and his friends both state that walking off of the job and disappearing all night without letting anybody know where he's at is something that he would have never done. He was described as an ambitious star athlete. He was very predictable, not a loose cannon. He was good-natured. Both his mother and father had a good relationship with him. And she thought maybe he ran into some friends or spent the night at a girl's house and just forgot what to call his mama, which I don't know about Wisconsin, but if you forget to call your mama and you're alive, you're going to wish you were dead. Because I did that one time, and she found me. It was not pretty. But by the time Dolly got up the next morning around 6.30, she still had not heard from Chad, and he was not at the house. So around 7.30, she started calling his friends one by one, asking if they had seen Chad. And they each state no, and they were just as shocked as she was that he had been all night and had been out all night and had not called to check in. And so friends and family would call back throughout the day to see if Dolly had heard anything, but there was nothing from Chad. So Sunday came and went without any word. Mm -mm. And then that would be the last night Dolly and John would try to get some sleep without thinking something bad had happened. On Monday, May 21st, 1990, the Mowers still hadn't heard from Chad, and so those bad scenarios start running through their minds. And... They're, you know, worried sick. And after all, it had been three days. And they felt like if he had been in a car wreck or if he had been arrested or if he had actually been found somewhere, they would have heard from authorities or from someone stating what had happened. Now, one thing that police and the mom and dad had considered early on was that Chad got a wild hair up his ass and decided that he was just going to go to Colorado because that was his plan. He was saving up some money and he was going to move to Boulder and go to school out there. But why would he take his dad's car without saying anything? That's just, you know, it's it's not real plausible according to the parents. But later that afternoon, like we stated on Monday, May 21st, the phone rang and John, the father, answered it, and it was the Chicago Police Department. Before the officer on the other end could finish asking, 
John busts out, is Chad in jail? What did he do? Has he been hurt? And he gets a brutal, cold, your son is dead, carbon monoxide poisoning. He killed himself. That's, uh... Not good bedside manners. No. And this would be exactly 10 days after Chad's 19th birthday. Now, the specific area in which Chad was found was Wentworth Gardens on the south side of Chicago. And if you don't know, the south side of Chicago is one of the baddest parts of town. And if you go down there, you better just beware of a man named Leroy Brown. It's a great song, but it is very true. South side of Chicago is a very rough rough area and it was especially during this time period not that it is and i'm not going to south side of chicago i now, have no reason to no <laughs> now wentworth is located near chinatown and bridgeport and they're part of the actual armor square area of the south side and wentworth in the last couple of years has undergone a facelift to make it more uh metropolitan i would say but uh, it still remains one of the rougher areas of Chicago. In 1989, it had the highest concentration of the city's homicide with 166 murders in the neighborhood of Armour Square alone. Just in that little neighborhood, there was 166 homicides. I mean, murders. It was known to be severely drug-infested because there's a large number of schools in the area there's a high population density, and it's close to downtown. And I, some of you may be thinking, well, what does the schools got to do with anything? In the 80s? I don't even know. I mean, there's kids on guns. What are you talking about? In the 80s? Well, it's the 90s. Because Yeah. But in the early, I mean, the late 80s, early 90s, if you had the dope, you was peddling it near a school. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It was a drugs dealer Paradise is the way some of the residents around Armour Square would describe it. And they Bas state... Basically, he got no reason to be down there. No. And I, I don't mean this in a negative connotation, but white bread middle America has no business in a sweet 68 Mustang to be traveling around the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. I, would be, I would be terrified. But I've been to Chicago. I don't think I went to the South Side, but I went to Chicago by myself when I was in college, and man, it was a great time. Everybody I met was super nice. So. I know a lot of people that work downtown, but I have worked for a man that was a elementary school principal in Chicago, yeah. and he says it's like stand by me, kind of not stand by stand, me, but stand uh, lean on me, lean on me, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so. On Monday, May 21st, 1990, a maintenance worker had arrived at work and he was pulling into an apartment building on the 3300 block of South Michigan Avenue. We're going to post a picture of like a Google Maps area that kind of lays out these uh, addresses and what it looks like. But basically, he's working in an apartment building in the Wentworth Gardens neighborhood and based on what I could find, the maintenance department was responsible for several different apartment buildings in that neighborhood. So they used a garage to store everything they needed because the, the garage had electricity. So they could go in there, they could, you know, meet over coffee, decide what needed to be done, and go get it. 
but shortly after the maintenance worker had arrived, he pulled into a, an alley to access the garage and noticed the lock had been broken off. So he immediately opened the garage door and inside was a yellow 1968 Ford Mustang with both doors unlocked. And when he looked inside, he saw a young man laying halfway between the front and the back seat. And in a 68 Mustang, there's not like a center console. It's the old middle parking brake, pull-up parking brake. Yeah. So he's laid across with his feet towards the console and his head towards the trunk. And the car, the car itself is going to be out of gas and the battery's going to be dead. He had been running for that long. And news reports at the time didn't state whether the maintenance worker like tapped on the window or he actually opened the door to see if the young man inside was alive. Either way, they discover that it's Chad Mauer and he's unresponsive and they call the Chicago Police Department. And despite some things on Reddit and web sleuths, the doors were unlocked. They were not locked. And this was, you know, confirmed by police reports according to an old article. Now we get into um, when the police actually arrived and discovered that he, that Chad is dead. Uh, Detective Lynn Garman was one of the investigators assigned to the case. And like Coach stated, the ignition was still in the on position, the gas tank's empty, the battery's dead, and they noted some what looked like bloody fingerprints smudged on one of the car's windows. And also in the driver's seat was a windbreaker, which at the time the authorities thought was Chad's, but as we know, Mama said he didn't take one when he went back to work. And the parents are going to note that the jacket on the front seat was not one that they knew Chad owned. They wanted to, they said it would be interesting to know if the jacket size is consistent with Chad's size, or it may give us an idea of the, of the basic build of somebody that may have been in the car with him. What, what did happen to the jacket? I don't think they got it returned to them, did they? Oh, no, but I've got, I've got it, and it's going to. Okay. Well, you're not going to be shocked. Don't let me put the cart before the horse, now. Now, before... His body was removed from the vehicle. The Chicago Police Department homicide investigators used their spotty senses and determined that Chad killed himself by carbon monoxide poisoning. Case closed. Deuces. We'll see y'all next week. Why did we do this case? I don't that, know. If I mean, it was just a suicide. I mean, it's... Even, hey, they are some top-notch... Why do we even... Motherfuckers out there. It's just suicide, right? Like, right. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I don't understand how, especially once you, we get into what the the state of Chad's body, I just don't see how you just determine. Just by looking, they ain't even moved him. Oh, yeah, he he committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. It, it's it's an odd thing. I mean, of course we're not we're not police. We don't do police work, but it just it, we we come across it so many times. It just seems like lazy, just plain old laziness, or incompetence, or Lazy incompetence. Downright. <laughs> Stupidity. Um, no, downright malicious. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, malicious Please, intent. Like, like, you just don't give a fuck, basically, yeah. is where it comes around. And, and, and it just chaps my ass. But anyway, the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office would double down and they would side with the homicide investigators. And they would note that Chad's, had, Chad's body had some, quote, 
minor injuries to his hands, but they stated that the team was in overall, overall good health, physical shape, and showed no signs of trauma. His death, cause of death was listed as, quote, probable suicide. Roy Dames, the chief administrator for Cook County, stated that his office and the Chicago Police Department handled the case perfectly. <laughs> okay. Perfectly is what he said. Now, Chad's body was returned to his parents for burial at the Gunderson Funeral Home in Moan... Shit. <laughs> Monana, Monana, Monana. Wisconsin. As the Mowers were making funeral arrangements, Dolly and John were able to see their son's body for the first time. I, I don't. I still don't get that. I, but anyway, that's when they discovered that Chad's death was not, in their opinion, a clear case of suicide. He had injuries consistent with either being in a fight or sustaining other trauma. According to the Mowers and the funeral home director, Chad's knuckles and fingers were busted up and he had numerous bruises to his face. His, his knuckles were skinned to the bone. His bone, his knuckle bones were exposed. And the funeral home director reported that he had significant bruising to his groin. To his groin? Now, the Dane County Sheriff's Office in Madison would start a separate investigation with the Madison Police Department assisting them outside of Chicago's clear-cut drive suicide. So on May 25, 1990, the funeral for Chad was held, but Dane County Coroner Ray Wispeka requested that his burial be postponed until a pathologist and evidence technician from the Madison Police Department could examine the body and take crime scene photos. So, just to recap so that you grasp this, Chicago says, using spotty senses alone, <laughs> he killed himself, carbon monoxide poisoning, but when his body gets to the funeral home in Wisconsin, the funeral home director kind of takes matters in his own hands and tells the family, look, you need to call the cops and have an autopsy done and get someone out here to take photos. Yeah. That's two drastic ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And remember, the Cook County Medical Examiner said he had, quote, minor injuries and he was in overall good health and showed no signs of trauma. Yet we just heard that the Dane County Coroner said he had bare knuckles, skint to the bone, and bruising on his groin. He also, he also had bruises on his face. And then, because of his suggestion, they are going to do an autopsy. And the autopsy is going to suggest that he did not take his own life because the carbon monoxide level in his body was 74% carbon monoxide saturation that is much higher than what's usually found in a suicide yeah suicides i think is between 50 and 60 percent uh, approximately yeah uh this is a quote from detective bong bon giovanni sounds like a good guy bon giovanni. that's a good name 
uh, he's quote my my understanding is that the levels were where they're conscious at the time they succumb to carbon monoxide is about 50 to 60 percent levels that get up to 74 to 80 percent are more consistent with a person being unconscious or sleeping when they succumb to carbon monoxide poisoning that's because people naturally have a tendency to breathe deeper and more methodically when they're sleeping than when they're awake again quite the discrepancy from what Cook County, Illinois is saying. The Chicago Police Department, and I cannot put into words or describe or convey how John Maurer felt when whoever called him to tell him that they had found his son dead. I just... I feel like there could have been a little bit more uh, compassion in the phone call. What troubles me even more is you're delivering the worst possible news to a mother and father, and you're just cold dead fish to them. Now, according to Damien Moore, and he wrote an in-depth article covering this case for American Crime Journal, and he states he's from Chicago. He states, while some may want to argue that any delivery would be considered cold or lifeless, or perhaps it's just how John remembered it over the years, truth is, this is more common than not with the Chicago Police Department. This is not a single instance where an investigator had a bad day and came off wrong to a victim's family. Well, you also have to understand that the Chicago Police Department at that time are probably desensitized to this level of violence because they're dealing with it constantly so perhaps maybe not him maybe he just maybe he just did it because that's just how it was done he wasn't doing it to be a dick or anything like that but according to Moore this is not a single instance where an investigator had a bad day nor is it a single instance demonstrating a lack of training or miscommunication he states that this is the culture within the Chicago Police Department. Their typical attitude of, quote, how dare another outsider come to our great city of Chicago and end up where they don't belong and get killed. And before you get pissed that we are calling out shitty police work again, keep in mind, we have a problem with people being unprofessional and not investigating a homicide the way it should be. This is a department and a medical examiner's office who supposedly conducted this investigation 100% by the book and couldn't find knuckles skint to the bone. Or if they did, they just the hell with it. It's not a case of distraught parents that just can't take the fact that their son committed suicide either there's too many open questions for them to accept the Chicago line of thinking keep in mind Chicago investigates more murders every year than LA and New York combined they have the largest support staff of any law enforcement organization and most, they're larger than most federal agencies as well. And again, I'm quoting 
Mr. Moore, he says, quote, there isn't a monopoly on brain power in the organization, only integrity. As far back as I can remember, I've witnessed countless press conferences with the Chicago Police Department superintendent, the mayor of Chicago, members of their staff, investigators, and numerous other city officials who have come and gone since. Answer questions with questions. Make snide remarks and spend corrupt and criminal behavior using jest and quid pro quo. They'll offer wonderful advice like, quote, don't come here to buy drugs and you won't get killed, end quote. Hmm. Or, quote, when you play with fire, you get burned. Most Chicagoans and outsiders alike are simply amazed at the comments and attitude that comes from the city officials. Truth is, it is very comical except the circumstances are far too tragic and it really is not the time nor the place. It is not professional nor is it compassionate. Thoughts and prayers, but hey, they got themselves killed around here. We call it natural causes. When people drive to Chicago to buy drugs and get killed, that's suicide, is what they're saying. Hmm. Maybe natural causes, but whatever we call it, ultimately it was their choice to come to Chicago. Don't come to Chicago and expect us to clean it up. Mommy and Daddy need to look in the mirror if they want to be mad. Who's saying that? Police officials in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. Hey, yeah, they doubled down. <laughs> so, well, well, I guess. Well, so according to them, according to that logic, it was suicide, and they're right. <laughs> End of story. Their line of thinking, according to Mr. Moore, is maybe if you didn't buy any drugs or your kid wasn't a piece of shit, then it wouldn't come to street violence. And basically, they blame everybody other than shitty police work. The sad truth is that John and Dolly were owed more compassion and understanding since they were not from Chicago and neither was Chad. Now, if you feel for the detectives and believe that this is just us being mean to them poor bastards up there, you need to keep in consideration something that we have stated over and over and over again when we encounter unprofessional and lack of professionalism when it comes to law enforcement. And that is... Fuck. Well, that too. Just kidding. <laughs> that is, if it you find a dead body, you are supposed to treat that regardless of whether or not you think it is blatantly obvious to even the waitress down at the local choking puke that it's suicide. You have, you have to treat it as a homicide until the medical examiner tells you otherwise. We've seen this in many cases that we've covered. I'm going. I'm just. I'm still. I'm going to decide on the on the idea that it's just desensitized. They're just desensitized. To it. And that may be the case. Just like I said, like you said. This 166 murders in one year. In the same neighborhood. Yeah, just one know, neighborhood just, in the South Side. Come on. They, they investigate more murders in New York and L.A. combined. I mean, come on. They're going to be desensitized to it. So maybe that does lead to less than tactful behavior. Doesn't, doesn't excuse it, but it can explain at least, very least. Yes. Now, what they should have done to determine if it was a suicide was, I don't know, start knocking on doors and asking questions. Hey, see a white boy around here in a 68 Mustang? They 
could have called. Yeah, but Chad's even so you're not you're not likely you're gonna get a lot of information. Oh no, I'm not saying that you were you're going to, but I just find it funny that they hadn't even moved his body and they were like, No. Suicide. Yeah, I mean They didn't even process the car. It does appear to be a suicide and also by your explanation of their attitude towards it, they they probably did consider it a suicide. You came all the way to Chicago to buy drugs and you got killed. That's just what happened. Well, I would go... I might could swallow that if they found him seated behind the driver's seat, kind of slumped over. But his body looks like he's trying to get to the back seat for some reason. But anyway, I don't know. Well, he was, unco- he was unconscious at the time. Maybe that's just how they put him in there. They just kind of- Who put him in there? Are you foreshadowing? I'm just saying. It's, it's been determined that he has a much higher level of uh, carbon monoxide than a, in, in a suicide case. So it would lead you to believe that he was either unconscious or asleep. I'm going to go with unconscious. So just to put this in perspective, Dolly and John Maurer were contacted by the Chicago Police Department and told that Chad had killed himself before the autopsy was complete and before the toxicology report came back six weeks later. Mm-hmm. And here's a little nugget. His toxicology report had no drugs in his system. And anybody that has applied for a job and had to take a drug test know that you're sweating it if you may have smoked a joint two months before. Especially if they snip your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a bike shop's going to snip your hair. True, and I don't think they were going to in 89 or 90. But keep. I'm just saying, if he supposedly was this, you know teen dabbling in LSD and, and pot, you would think that he would have had some in his system when they did the toxicology report. Mm-hmm. But according to the toxicology report, there wasn't any. So the Dane County Police Department conducts their own investigation. And before we went on this epic rant about how unprofessional Chicago was, on May 25th, 1990, we stated that the funeral for Chad was held at the Gunnerson Funeral Home, but Dane County Coroner Ray was was separate. I'm screwing that up. Osepka requested that his burial be postponed until a pathologist and evidence tech from the Madison Police Department could examine the body and take crime scene photos. While acknowledging that young Chad was an avid BMX racer, an athlete, and a fierce competitor, Mr. Ray would come to the conclusion that Chad had been involved in some kind of confrontation. Now, one would want to know why, and according to the Dane County Coroner, Chad's body bore 24 scars. He had injuries to his hands, knuckles, a cut lip, bruising on his face, and significant bruising to his groin area. There was blood spatter on his shirts and skid marks on his pants that indicated that he was drugged along pavement. One key piece of evidence not released to the public initially was the discovery of what some claim are bloody fingerprints on the driver's side window. The jacket that was recovered from the driver's side seat in the Mustang that both Dolly and John are very adamant about that it's not Chad's was somehow 
lost between collecting it at the scene and when Dane County's coroner requested it. It's present in multiple crime scene photos of the car, but it doesn't make the trip back to Wisconsin. Now, you're probably thinking, well, so what they, the police department ruled it a suicide. If you rule it a suicide, it don't count towards your murder numbers. Not that they were really worried about that back in 1990, but keep that in mind. You never know. It's kind of like in the education world. If I get you to, quote, transfer, you're not a dropout. <laughs> well, because of the toxicology report, his official cause of death is going to be changed from suicide to, quote, undetermined. And the authorities are going to begin a full-blown investigation. Uh, during an interview, the bike shop owner is going to be quoted in, in, in the newspaper saying that he thought Chad seemed afraid at one point as he was working. He, he, he noticed some odd behavior. And soon after, that article appeared, the shop is going to be vandalized. And by vandalized, we mean a drive-by. Yeah, it's going to be a drive-by shooting. They're going to shoot the windows out. But it's going to be, quote-unquote, determined to be non-related to Chad's case. This, it's just a bike shop in Wisconsin that somebody sprayed with bullets. It has nothing, nothing to do with this case. No. Nothing. A good friend of Chad, Mr. David Slough, According to the Capital Times of Madison, Wisconsin, in a June 4, 1990 article, stated that he and Chad had played tennis the day before, and he flat out refuses to believe that Chad committed suicide. He went on to say, quote, Chad wanted to race mountain bikes in Colorado. He was putting away money, and he had his future planned. Now, for the theories. So for the past 30 years, or more, actually, 90 yeah, 30 years. The con running conclusion on the internet is that Chad skipped work in the middle of his chef shift, drove to the south side of Chicago to purchase drugs, and encountered foul play. But see, that just doesn't make sense. It's like your second day on the job, and you're just going to take off and drive 150 miles to buy drugs. Yeah, so you're telling me that only the second day of a job at a box shop that he was in heaven to be working at, mm -hmm. he just got a wild hair up his ass to go drive to the south side of Chicago to purchase drugs for somebody three hours away. I guess. I mean, now, I mean, we can sit here and say that how implausible that sounds, but I mean, that's where he ended up. True. Now, one thing that you need to understand and one thing that I learned from doing this research is that there's one group of criminals that are like clockwork for snitching and turning states evidence and that is drug addicts <laughs> and for someone to say that Chad a suburban white boy arriving one Friday night in a pristine 1968 yellow Ford Mustang with cash ended up dead and not a single snitch for the Chicago police knew about it. I find that hard to believe. Now, rumors abound that Chad was paid to make two trips from Madison to Milwaukee to transport drugs for a friend. And it does come out later that this is verified. But a kid making 
a trip from Madison to Milwaukee is a whole hell of a lot different from a kid traveling to Chicago to purchase drugs. And then they're saying some rumors said that he was transporting drugs from Madison to Chicago. So in 1990, Chicago is getting their, is getting their drugs from Madison, Wisconsin. They're pipelining it from Madison to Chicago. No, I will. I mean, no, that is not. That may have been the case at that point, but I promise you, the pipeline is from Chicago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it it flows the other way, folks. Yeah. Oh yeah, that river goes that way. Yeah. Now, evidence does show that he was likely dragged and put into the driver's seat, and then someone shoved him over to maybe, possibly, get in the car and drive. Did they steal the car? Did they mug him in Madison to get a ride home, beat the shit out of him, and then ditch him three hours away? I don't know. Well, the local crime stoppers in Madison are going to report about Chad's case and they are going to receive a phone call with a disturbing tip alleging that Chad was involved in a drug deal with people who lived in his apartment complex. These same people had previously lived on the south side of Chicago and Sergeant John W. Ridges is, the, is with the Chicago Police Department and he is quoted as saying, we know through our intelligence sources that there's a pipeline of narcotics trafficking from Chicago to Madison. Now, there's nothing in Chad's background that would really suggest that he was involved with narcotics, but because of this conduct, there's a possibility that he might have been tricked into being involved in narcotics and narcotics trafficking. And I would buy that more with, I guess I'm hung up on the fact that I don't feel like he actually is the one that drove to Chicago by himself. He may have been... And we'll get into it. But anyway. Well, I mean, he he is looking for money. He is trying to move to Colorado. So it makes sense that what's an easy way to make quick cash? Drive this car here and turn around and drive back. We're going to go pick up a package. We're going to get paid for it. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But Detective Bon Giovanni is going to have his own theories about that. He says it's possible that somebody offered him money. He said Chad was looking for money and wanted to move to Colorado. He was hoping to get a couple thousand dollars to go there for a snowboarding and BMX event. It is possible somebody offered him somewhere around $500 to make the trip. And then when they got to Chicago, they reneged on that and an altercation occurred, which Chad obviously being a loser of that altercation. Now, one thing to keep in mind, and I didn't really take this in consideration until I started reading up on it, was... And I don't believe most of this, so before you, like, foam at the mouth, just hear me out. <laughs> they state that, are we making too much out of the injuries to his hands? No, absolutely not. And they said that, to keep in mind that he was an avid BMX rider and racer, and some of you may be thinking, what the fuck, racing bikes with pedals? Yeah, it was a big deal in the late 80s, early 90s. A lot of people, including... Your jocks, your preps, your stoners, your delinquents enjoyed doing tricks on BMX bikes. And his injuries could be consistent with wiping out on his bike and just as likely as being in a fight. And when you wipe out on a bicycle, for any of you that have ever ridden, 
you instinctively try to break your fall with your hands. And lots of times you smash your hands up. And if you're doing tricks, you could smash your hands into handrails, walls, the ground, etc. And also keep in mind that Chad competed, so he probably spent a, and this is a actual measurement, a shit ton of time on his bike. And he probably tried more stunts than the average rider would have, which meant he could have had more injuries. And then they go on to talk about the groin injuries. Well, that's what I was going to say. That could possibly explain the groin injuries. This is, it's the seat. And a lot of times people trying jumps and tricks, you know, injure their groin. And the bar to the frame of these BMX bikes for males is inches away <laughs> from keeping a lot of men from ever reproducing. <laughs> and any guy that grew up during that time and didn't injure himself attempting to do some crazy shit on his bicycle, uh, we call them not guys. <laughs> now, get in, let's talk about the suicide angle. You're not going to... You're not going to drive 150 miles to the most dangerous part of Chicago to commit suicide. By carbon monoxide. By carbon monoxide. That makes zero sense in any situation. I just don't see that happening. But Now, even people with a history of depression and mental illness often in the weeks or days leading up to the actual suicide are described as being, quote, at their best, quote, at their happiest, Quote, for the first time, my son and daughter didn't seem to be conflicted or troubled. And there's a lot of professionals out there that state that this is actually a suicide that the person is going to go through with the suicide. They're no longer seeking help or attention. They're now at peace at making their final rounds, visiting friends, saying goodbye to family and their loved ones, believe that they and the family and friends are relieved that they seem, you know, in good spirits. I personally do not believe Chad Meyer was going to commit suicide. But I just wanted to poke the bear and see if you would follow me. You didn't. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean. And people do irrational shit. And even smart and successful people do stupid shit. I just can't get past the whole Chicago thing in the first place. Can we rule out suicide completely, though? I mean... You can't. You can't. And, just and, and just I, because it seems unlikely, this whole freaking podcast is 70 episodes of the most unlikely shit you've ever heard in your life. My biggest thing is, what connection did Chad have to the city? Why in the hell was he there? Was this the scene staged is my biggest question. In my opinion, for someone that age and in that call to go to... To go to South Side of Chicago for any reason shows one of two things. There was a woman involved. <laughs> no, either they had balls of steel and were unafraid of anything, or they were just very, very stupid. Because that is not a place for a 19-year-old. White bread blind, kid. Yeah, blind kid from Wisconsin. No. Now, Especially I, in the 1968 pristine uh, Mustang. Mustang. But that's what confuses me is, again, anytime it's not reported that he, we, none of my research showed the, uh, how much money he had on him or if he 
you know. The only thing we know is he got 20 bucks from his dad for gas. So. And in 90, you're looking at, he's going to have some, some, a little bit of spending money. Yeah, but I mean, we don't know if he was robbed, which that, to me. Would make more sense if he had a lot of cash on him, but we don't know. We just don't know. But the fact that they left the Mustang in pristine condition and left him in it, I don't know. I mean. 1968 Mustang in 1990? Man, you're going to get some money. Hell, 1968 Mustang now. Ooh, That's yeah. a sweet ride. Yeah, but we're talking... Yeah, even back then you're getting ten grand for it. At the very least. Yeah. I just have... I just feel like there's something not right with the whole story from start to finish between... And I hate to do this, and, and I'm not really doing it to be malicious, but the whole story with how open his parents were about the police investigation nobody found it odd that chad went back to work at the village peddler after lunch his parents arrive an hour and a half later and the damn owner of the shop doesn't know if he's there or not a good point and then a week later the bike shop is shot up by in a drive-by the shop owner to me does not sound like he's being completely honest with anyone the parents, the media, the police, anything. And here's where I have a, and this is where I go with this. Have you ever been to work and your boss not know whether you came back from lunch? Especially on your second or third day on the job. And how did Mr. Godfrey not know where Chad had been in the hour and a half he was gone until Chad's parents showed up at the shop? Not once has Chad's parents ever said that old George called the house and said something like most bosses probably would, like, hey, where the fuck is Chad? (laughs) After you left, I went back and looked for him, and guess what? He's not here. Tell him not to come back tomorrow, and I just want you to know Chad's not here. They didn't hear any of that. Instead, you have the mom stating that she wasn't really too worried until the next morning she had the mother's intuition but she didn't like start freaking out till the next morning my mom would have been losing her mind if i had told her i was going to work and an hour and a half later she just happens to come by and i'm not there oh yeah been especially if i'm in daddy's sweet ride of a 68 mustang all right so let's get into the theory of quote he went to purchase some drugs in chicago and encountered foul play I do not buy this for a second. Really? I do not. You don't think? And here's the thing. I don't see him skipping work in his daddy's car, driving three hours to purchase drugs on Chicago's south side. I don't buy that, just like I don't buy it's a suicide. Sure, he has smoked pot, and he's tried LSD a couple of times. A lot of kids did some shit like that in the 80s and 90s. You so you, you don't even want to entertain the fact that somebody could have been like, hey man, you make like a thousand bucks if you go out here and get this package. And I'm not saying and- I'm not saying that drugs weren't involved. I just don't think he drove up there by himself three hours to purchase dope. Because he smoked. You're talking about driving three hours to Chicago to either buy marijuana or LSD or, okay, let's go out on a limb and say he was going up there to get even something harder. Now, there's two possibilities if we're talking about drugs being involved. Either A, he was getting a dope for 
the shop owner or he ran into some shit not far from the bike shop. Either he went to get drugs for the shop owner or he went to pick up some dope from a local guy and the guy says, hey man, I'm out, but if you drive, we can go get the shit. But guess what? We're heading to Chicago to pick it up. And that's where I get into, did he go voluntarily or involuntary? Because I, I just don't, I don't know, man. I, I may be giving him more credit than is due, and I may be reading more into this. I just don't see a kid that loves racing bikes as much as he does. He lands a dream job at this bike shop. It's his second or third day, and he's just going to blow off the second half of his ship shift without the owner knowing something. But according to police, the year before he was murdered, because that's what I feel like, he did act as a drug courier on two separate occasions from his home to Milwaukee. According to vetted sources, there were people that he knew that said he did this. Now, I find that more plausible to go get drugs than him traveling to Chicago. There are plenty of connections, I would feel like, for drugs in Madison, even if your guy is out. But, I don't know, man. I, I find it hard to believe that somebody since this, if it was... If they were going to get drugs, they didn't get picked up and they're looking at a shit ton of time and they're like, hey man, I got this information about this kid that got killed. I just, I don't know. I'm fairly sure it was a drug deal going on. Now, if he did go up there to, let's just, alright, let's chase the, he went up there for, whether he went up there alone or whatever, somebody tells him there's, you're going to go pick up this big shipment. Here's where I I don't put a whole lot in it is if he's picking up a big shipment, he's going to make sure that he can offload that shit because he's wanting to move to Colorado. You're going, if I'm picking up, if I'm the guy in the friend circle that ha, has access to the drugs, I'm going to make sure you know I'm getting some, some good stuff and, hey, man, you want in on this before I start selling it to other people. And so I feel like his friends would have known something about a supply, a big supply coming. Mm -hmm. And you're not going, he's not going to go up there and drop, say, let's say $500 of his own saved money on a drug shipment that he's going to have to sit on for a couple of weeks or a month. You're going to make sure that ship is taken care of. Because mm -hmm. you're looking at, like his friend said, you're looking at some saving money and getting to Colorado. Yeah. But the fact that he does this during work hours, I'm thinking the bike shop owner put him up to I'm thinking bikes that's what I. That's where I'm headed. Right, like, yeah, man. Uh, hey, man, can you? You're a young kid. Can you give me some some stuff? Or, or, hey, man, we're you know, and that may be why he got a job there. He knew the bike shop owner had access to something, and the, and the, the mm -hmm. bike shop owner is like, look, man, I need you to stay on the clock, but I need you to go pick this shit up. Well, that would be that would explain why he was evasive when he was. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he's in the back, ain't he? Or, like, maybe he knew exactly where Chad was. Maybe he went on that man's behalf. Right. A lot of families back then tried to paint a very rosy picture of their child 
even if they knew they were smoking dope, drinking, or dabbling in other illicit drugs. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's your kid. If you love your kid, you're going to love your kid. Right, but she, you know, according to all interviews, she's out front saying, hey, you know, he smokes some dope, and he's not an angel. Hell yeah, I mean, well, they... During the interviews with his parents, nobody ever asked some tough questions about, even with his, let's get away from his family, with interviewing friends and stuff like that, they didn't ever ask, I couldn't find out, they, they may have, and I just couldn't find it, but they never asked, was he, did he have a reputation of being a, a tough guy, a badass at school, was he, was he ever violent? He didn't look like No, did he ever make threats to someone, hey motherfucker, if you don't do what you're supposed yeah. to, I'm going or my thing is, does mom and nat, dad know that he was a little bit deeper in the drug scene than what they're letting on? Here's the thing is, I mean, he didn't have any drugs in the system. I know, that's, that's the thing that keeps coming back to, for me is, and I find that odd, if you're coming out front saying, look, man, my son's not an angel, he smoked dope, he drank, you know, he's dabbled in LSD, and then the toxicology report comes back, and he's clean as... A preacher sheets. I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't know. So what happened to Chad Mauer? The, he died. Yeah, that's the only thing we know under mysterious circumstances. Uh, the Chicago suicide theory sounds ridiculous to me just because I can't, I can't wrap my head around that you can't, you determine that he committed suicide without touching or moving the body or waiting for the damn autopsy report to come back. Accidental death is possible. I mean, and the reason I say that is accidental death could be, was he a victim of a carjacking, forced to drive there? Did he decide to take a friend there because it, quote, was an emergency? Hey, man, I need to get to Chicago. Maybe he was attacked and drove to Chicago and they hit him in the garage. Maybe he went up there and, you know, if we follow the drug line and he's got fucked up and he was under the influence he decides hey man I'm too too screwed up to drive but there was nothing in his system there was no alcohol I know there was no drug you can't I mean that that's a great theory but it doesn't make any sense and you're and just going to pull into some random ass house in a garage and shut the door the, and, the, and my thing is Maybe he, all right, so maybe he gets to Chicago on his own accord or by, you know, whatever. It's chilly in Chicago in May. He doesn't have a jacket, according to his mother. Maybe he thinks, hey, I'm just going to park my car in here, turn the heat on, warm up, and then I'm going to, and then for some reason, something happens, he passes out. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't, there's a whole lot of unanswered questions about, why the car was there and people talking maybe thinking if you're not familiar with how the houses are laid out up that way the houses are on a street and then there's usually an alley behind the house where everybody has a garage it does houses are on the street no way sometimes a road (laughs) but that but keep in mind most people up there have if you have a house you have a garage behind your house that faces an alley where you keep your car or your workshop or something like that. So him pulling into a a garage, the, and, and then go back to the maintenance guy says 
that this was one of their garages and the, the lock had been busted off. Mm. So was he hiding from something? Oh, shit, and I'm going to pull in, bust this lock off, pull my car in and shut the door real quick. But then that doesn't explain the carbon monoxide poisoning because then he's going to wait to see if the clock... Say he waits an hour. I'm, I'm still going to open the back up, and I'm not going to leave the car running. If I'm hiding from somebody, they could hear the car running. Yeah. And a 68's not quiet. Man, that's a... It's going to take a lot of time to bust the lock off a garage door, open said garage door, pull in, shut the garage door. I mean, if you're running from somebody that's gaining on you, why even hide? You're in a 68 Mustang, man. Burn them down. Just go. Yeah. Hit the gas and head on back to Wisconsin. See if they're willing to follow you. <laughs> Three hours. Yeah, if they're willing to follow you 150 miles, they're that pissed off. My big glaring question is what is the significance of Chicago and would Chad, a 19-year-old supposedly full of life with a bright future ahead of him, travel to the south side of Chicago simply to commit suicide? I don't know. Absolutely. I don't think. I don't it just know. doesn't make sense. No. But, you know, like we I, we cover shit all, every week that yeah. don't make sense. <laughs> this whole damn thing has been one big frustrating endeavor. We don't answer shit. No. But, I mean... I think I go back to... There's... Unfortunately, barring a jailhouse confession, snitch, deathbed confession, I don't think this will ever be solved. My biggest gripe is what if Chicago Police Department had actually treated it as a homicide from the get-go? Would it have gone differently? And we'll never know. I mean, and I hate it for his mom and dad. Are they still around? I couldn't find. Um... The last thing I she, think they were, but it was in the last thing I found was in 2010. She was still doing. She was part of the um, what's that organization where families help other families of murdered children. Um, she was very big into that. Sure. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. But uh, she her last quote is, is all we know is Chad. All we know in Chad's case is that Chad's dead and he ended up in Chicago, and we know he was beaten up. But why he was beaten up, how did he end up in Chicago, there are so many questions. And every day we wake up and we think of a different thing that could have happened to Chad. I know it won't bring Chad back, but we cannot rest and we cannot put Chad to rest until we have the answers to this case. And that's the saddest thing, is just the unanswered questions and the fact that they, they're never going to know. And I think that's what just gripes me, because my son's 15 and I, I kind of look at that you know just the questions I would have is just I don't know well I don't, I don't think we're going to figure it out today we're in the basement in Georgia no we ain't of cold cake. let's just call them up let's call up uh, Chicago PD and ask if there's any new leads hey you fuckers <laughs> any interesting uh, 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 leads or uh... <laughs> tell us we're just two dumbasses in a basement tell us <laughs> I know you ain't told anybody else, but tell us. Yeah. Well, man, this is, it, it, it just, it's so interesting the way that nothing adds up. Like, you can say it was drug-related, but to me, having someone go to a drug deal that had no drugs in their system doesn't make sense to me at all. And, I mean, that that's just, 
that's unfounded bias, but it is a bias. I'm like, if you're dealing drugs, you're doing drugs. Gotta be. Well, and I pot. That's my thing. He he was known to smoke pot, and they didn't find anything in his toxicology yeah. report. Now, I did see a theory on uh, WebSleuth. Somebody commented, and this is plausible, that they felt like the toxicology report and the autopsy from Chicago was mixed up. That they sent the wrong autopsy report. No, that, that, that would explain. It's got, that has a little bit of legs with the explanation of not finding anything in his system. But again... Yeah, but the, the same toxicology. Yeah, they, they did, did another one in Madison. In Madison. Yeah. And that's how they got the, yeah. the 74% saturation. I just don't, man. It's, it, there's so many questions in this one. I just don't. I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, let's get into our recommendations. We've rambled on enough. No, let's continue to ramble. <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean... It's, this is one of the more frustrating cases that we've covered that we just okay. stumbled upon. Yeah, no business being where he was at. No. I, you talk about being out of, pay, out of place in the south side of Chicago. I mean, he was your quintessential Hollywood, California from Remember the Titans. Blonde-headed, athletic, in daddy's car. He would have stuck out like a sore thumb. I don't know. Well, anyway, I guess we'll just end it here. My recommendation <laughs> for those of you that have HBO is watch the new docu-series Murder on Middle Beach Road. Is it is about the true. death of Barbara Beach Hamburg. I'm two episodes in to a four-part docu-series. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, there's some sketchy shit going on. I recently watched all of there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. Oh my god. I don't know if we need to cover that case because I think it's pretty much solved. But man, there's a lot of fucked up shit there. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happened there. Uh, if you haven't seen something wrong with Aunt Diane, look that one up. That one and Dear Zachary. Good god. Yeah, those are two doozies. Those are some gut wrenching uh, hours to sit through. But my recommendation is going to be a YouTube page. It is recently uploaded. It's new. Uh, only has 16 followers, and it is the Mysterious Brew YouTube page. I heard they really did a good job. I think they did. They got five videos. Somebody's not uploading as much as they should. <laughs> Dude, it takes forever. I, I text you, and you know I text you, and I was like, hey, man, I got these videos. What do you think we should put up? And you come up with, I think you sent me four and so I started doing. And I don't see any of those. No, because I started doing the last two that were that are up there. And I know that we are cheap as hell, and we're not buying programs that probably do it faster. But what I'm using to convert our audio files to video files takes forever. I mean, forever, and you have to sit there because you can't let the computer time out, or it screws up the conversion. And I'm just like, God Almighty! But yeah, we're. I'm working hard, working hard, trying to get it on there. Mm -hmm. And I know as soon as we upload some of our earlier ones, we're going to get trolled. <laughs> yeah, we may need to, like, now that we got this sweet new equipment, we may need to go back and redo, like, uh, the Ubiquin side. We could revisit, I thought about that, revisiting some of the ones, especially, I don't know about redoing Jennings 8 because it's so long, but the audio is so terrible that we probably need to. 
I, I was so zoned out during that whole thing. It just ta- it took forever to talk about each one of those ladies, man. Woo! But anyway, yeah, there's some of our not so great audio files that we might revisit. But uh, I can assure you, there has been no development in the Yuba or the Jennings Eight. That that is pretty much done deal. Yeah. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate all the kind words and the outpouring of support that we have received over the holidays, and uh, we are going to keep striving to be better, especially now that we have this sweet new equipment. We're going to learn how to use it to its fullest potential, we as in me. Yeah, because There's lots of knobs and buttons and sliders. I will, I'm not going to... I think I'll electrocute myself this <laughs> But we can't say enough to She Coach for gifting that to yeah, that's us. Amazing. It's definitely, um, you can tell by looking that that was not cheap. No, no, that was not cheap. That is above and beyond what we got. Yeah. But anyway, you got anything else there, Slapnut? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Okay, then. Well, <laughs> deuces.